Welcome to one of those times in a life, sharing songs and stories around the virtual campfire. At this campfire, a season of the heart. Every day for a year After my father died I thought about that man And about his life How who he was Was now a part Of what I call A season of That's the first verse of a song called Season of the Heart, a name that for me would define the spring of 1997. I, I turned 50 on that season's first day, and in a combination of careful planning and simple serendipity over the next two weeks, I was part of three amazing concerts, each of them feeling a little like a homecoming. The first one in Seattle included every group I'd ever performed with. The second, on the Saturday of Easter weekend was a return to my hometown of Spokane as a member of the Brothers Four, as well as the opening act. And a few days after that, the Brothers Four performed in North Seattle, a few miles from where my wife and I were living. All the things that were about to happen made that fortnight more poignant and pointed as the season unfolded. One of the most surreal involved a conversation I had with my dad at Easter, I told him that I'd invited Jim and Mike, my two brothers, for a little getaway. It would be the first time just the three of us had gotten together in who knows how long. My dad replied in his typical style that, if I remember right, made us both smile. What he said was, I can die a happy man. My brothers and I did get together on Mother's Day weekend. I'd spent the previous few weeks thinking about them and even created a little book for each of us. In it were thoughts about them and about us together, as well as simple musings of growing up in a culture that appeared to glorify three brothers. There were TV shows like Bonanza, My Three Sons, and then, of course, The Camelot Years, starring the three surviving Kennedy brothers. My book ended with a question I hope we'd ponder. What does it mean to have and to be brothers? And we hadn't gotten there as we stood around saying goodbye in the parking lot on Sunday morning, talking about how our parents were coming back the next day from an extended road trip. The next night, I, I called my folks and welcomed them home and wished my mom a belated Happy Mother's Day. And they talked about their trip, and I told them about how Pat and I were going to La Push for our annual third weekend in May gathering, and, and then to Sun River for Memorial Day. We all agreed we were excited to be together in less than three weeks for the Brothers Four cruise to Alaska. It was newsy stuff, really. And for some reason, after I hung up, I felt uneasy. Nothing I could put my fingers on. And there certainly was no premonition. And though we often don't talk for weeks at a time, I called my folks back two days later. I didn't know what to say except that I'd been thinking about them. And my dad was the last one on the phone. 
And the last thing I said was, I love you. And though he didn't often say, I love you, when I was growing up, the last thing he said that night was, I love you too. And they would be the last words I would hear my father speak. Slowly those thoughts turned into stories and songs about all that remains after all that is gone what comes together what comes apart when we're in a season of the heart my dad suffered a heart attack in spokane early the next morning I was walking around Green Lake with a friend when the phone call came. By the time I got home, Pat had loaded the car, including the one suit I owned, just in case we would need it for the funeral. After his heart attack, the doctors performed an unsuccessful angioplasty, followed by a quadruple bypass, and because Dad was taking blood thinners, they had trouble stopping the bleeding. And by 5 o'clock that evening, after 22 pints of blood products, Dad was alive and in the coronary intensive care unit at Sacred Heart Hospital, hooked up to a dozen tubes and wires. Around 10, the doctor said the best thing for the family to do was to go home and get some rest. And so we would spend the first of what became a series of long, short nights. The next morning, the family was allowed to visit for three minutes each hour spending the rest of the time in a windowless waiting room. And that afternoon, a a new nurse on duty changed everything when she said she knew my dad would want his family around him. And with that blessing and a combination of common sense and love from that moment on, except for a few hours at night, he was never alone. It, It didn't take long before the rest of the world disappeared. The only thing that mattered was in that room Every day a little different, and yet each one somehow the same. Believing it was all a little crazy somehow helped keep us all sane. The Spokane River was running high, and each day we took turns walking along it, sitting next to it, or standing in awe of it before returning to the hospital. For the most part, my father remained alert. He was courageous and showed what grace and dignity can look like wearing a hospital gown and tethered to a dozen tubes. There were setbacks galore. On the second day when they removed the breathing tube, he went into cardiac arrest. On Sunday, his kidneys shut down. On Monday, his liver began to fail. Tuesday, he underwent surgery to remove the breathing tube and needed a tracheotomy. His vocal cords paralyzed. On Wednesday, his heart went into atrial fibrillation. On Thursday, his blood pressure drifted throughout the day. It was about that time that the doctors said that each day without improvement was a day lost. Things stabilized for a few days, beginning Friday of Memorial Day weekend. And then went terribly wrong on Monday when he had one final cardiac arrest. He lived two more days, though his eyes were now blank and his spirit had left him. My mom spent those last nights with him at the hospital. 
We surrounded him with songs and prayers and tears that Wednesday when he died. The next four days lurched forward in fits and starts. I called the circle of friends who had held my father in their prayers to give them the news. Thursday was spent writing the obituary, preparing for the memorial, telling my singing partners that I would be going on the Alaska cruise after all with my stepdaughters instead of my parents. And then that evening we celebrated my mom's 75th birthday. Friday was spent in Seattle tying up as many loose ends as I could, as well as writing what I was going to say about my dad the next day. Back to Spokane on Friday night, the memorial on Saturday, back to Seattle that night, and then into the car the next day bound for Vancouver and an Alaska cruise that sailed that afternoon. A year to the day my father was entombed Shared those songs and stories in my mother's living room It was on that night they became what they are A blessing for a season of the heart People couldn't have been nicer on the cruise. Everyone had heard about my dad's death, and they reached out gently and carefully, while at the same time giving Pat and my stepdaughters and me lots of space. There were moments the four of us had our own table for meals. And one of the first nights, the staff cheerfully delivered an anniversary cake. It took a while to remember we'd made arrangements months earlier to celebrate what would have been my folks' 53rd anniversary on that cruise. Maybe the hardest thing to process was the idea that I was originally going on this cruise as a, the son, and suddenly I'm the parent wearing a sweater I'd given to my dad for his 75th birthday. That was more than I wanted to think about. A few days after we got back from the cruise, I was in Spokane, helping my mom go through stuff and deal with things. One of the hardest was emptying out my dad's desk. I kept looking over my shoulder to make sure he wasn't watching. And a few days later, on the first day of summer, I was on a plane to Japan with the season of the heart finally behind me. And still, my first thoughts when I got up in the morning and my last thoughts as I went to bed continued to be about my dad. Knowing him, he would have urged me to start moving on. Instead, I made a promise to think about him as the centerpiece of every day for one year. I figured when the year was over, there might be some kind of celebration or ritual, and it, it truly would be time then to move on, as I knew my dad would want. I didn't know what form any of that was going to take. After spending a bunch of days writing things down about his life, I realized that I'd pretty much told that story getting ready for my folks' 50th anniversary. It was when I began to see the last few weeks, months, the last season of his life as a microcosm for life that my writing found focus and purpose. Feelings reinforced one weekend in the waning days of summer. 
because so many of my dad's older siblings couldn't make it on short notice to his memorial in May, there was a special family graveside service that they all attended in Spokane in September. And the next morning, I got up, raced across the state because the Brothers Four were singing at the Puyallup Fair that night with the Kingston Trio. And the joy and the sorrow of those days reminded me, to my marrow, of what it had been like to live through a season of the heart. When those stories were told and the songs had been sung, I knew that time had gone, that the time had come after making it through the hardest part. Saying goodbye to the season of the heart. It was an incredible gift to take that year after my dad died and spend much of it thinking about him, focusing on him and our relationship. Grief takes time that we don't often have time to take. There's also something about the length of a year that I've learned to trust, to go once around the sun, and as T.S. Eliot says, arrive where we started and know that place for the first time. One thing I discovered early that year was that though there was a lot I still wanted to say to him, that we'd left nothing unsaid. And that felt good. And as the year went on, I was able to see things that had previously been lost in a fog of grief or shock. The most important is what I've come to call my dad's last gift. A few years before he died, my dad wrote 25 short essays in longhand in a blank book given to him by a friend. Because his handwriting was stereotypical of a doctor, I, I got his permission to borrow the book, typed out the essays, wrote a short introduction, bound them into something called Feelings and Philosophy from the notebook of Roy T. Pearson, and again, with my dad's permission, gave copies to select family and friends. The day after my dad died, Mom lent her copy to their friend and minister, Don Gilmore, telling him he was free to read anything he felt appropriate at the memorial. For reasons still unclear, he chose to read about my dad's depression and hospitalization. What Don didn't know was that that part of my dad's life had never previously been publicly shared. And then suddenly, in my dad's own words, three days after he died, in the most public of ways, unbeknownst to his family, the secret was out. The magnitude of the gift of those words would only begin to become clear to me months later, talking with a friend in Nashville about John Steinbeck's East of Eden. My friend spoke eloquently about the gift the father in that story, Adam, gave to his surviving son, Caleb in the form of a single word at the end of that amazing book. A Hebrew word, timshel, roughly translated as thou mayest. And somehow I realized after that conversation that my father, 
three days after he died, had given me my own gift of thou mayest. What I didn't and couldn't know was that it would take me ten years to understand what the gift was and what a gift it was. Sometimes we must stop before we go on to the next adventure we know and so we find out who we are and how we're changed by the season of love. By early March, What began as a way of daily celebrating my father's life as well as grieving his death had turned into a musical memoir featuring 40 new songs. And while the main purpose of the songs was to illuminate the last season of his life, they also explored some of life's crueler ironies, how close life is to death, how near joy can be to sorrow, how often love is connected to loss. I decided the songs and sentiments were strong enough to be shared, to be used to mark the end of a year of daily grieving and finally to celebrate life and the dawn of a new day. At the time it happened, the fact that my dad died the day before my mother's birthday was simply cruel and devastating. A year later, that coincidence felt a little like an opportunity On my father's dying day, we would grieve and remember his whole life and the next morning get up and celebrate my mother's birth. In a way, it would become a personal echo of Easter and a reminder of the last time I saw my father whole and seemingly healthy. So the decision was made to perform a season of the heart in my mom's large Spokane living room, filled to overflowing with friends and family on her birthday, a year and a day after my father died. It also felt important to stage the memoir in Seattle. Together with my youngest stepdaughter, Lindsay, we found an intimate theater space on Capitol Hill at the Richard Hugo House, just off-Broadway, I might add, and rented it for four days the first week of June. Of course, once those commitments were made, a certain reality set in, in which in this case meant having to learn 40 new songs, to continue to have faith in them, as well as get comfortable performing them. The Brothers Four traveled extensively that spring. I remember so many mornings in hotel rooms in places like Tokyo and Hong Kong going over and over the songs before getting out for a while in the afternoon and then performing with the group that night. I remember a warm evening sitting outside in Prescott, Arizona, sharing songs from the memoir with friends who had driven up from Phoenix. And then, suddenly, I'm in my mother's living room, overflowing with a lifetime of familiar faces. And though I was so nervous I couldn't swallow, the songs got sung and the story got told. And in Seattle the next week, each performance got more comfortable and felt more natural until that last performance for special friends and family. And when it was finally over, a 
curtain rose behind me and revealed a celebratory feast lit by candlelight. And celebrate we did. Thanks for sharing one of those times in a life. At the next campfire, leap of faith. Hope to see you then. And remember, you can support one of those times in a life by buying a CD or downloading a soundtrack of the journey. <laughs>